Well, hello. Uh, my name is Aaron Stritzel. It's great to be back with you. Uh, before we begin, happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Uh, we appreciate all you do. Hopefully there's a way that you feel spoiled, appreciated, and loved, cared for by those around you. Um, and I just wanted to start off saying happy Mother's Day. Uh, today we continue on, actually conclude our sermon series. We've been on titled Life After COVID Lockdown. We've been looking through the lens, really, of the fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Each week we've been diving into two of these as we've walked along. And what we've been doing is reflecting back on this year. Life after the COVID lockdown is really meant to be what happened last year? What did we learn about ourselves and specifically about the two fruits that we've been kind of two characteristics that we're studying for that week? And how do we navigate into not just a new normal, but a better, a healthier future? Uh, so today I'm going to hone in on uh, the last two, gentleness and self-control. We, we've been talking about the Greek words for each since the New Testament Christian scriptures was written in Greek. Uh, the first Greek word for gentleness is prates. It was used one time here, prates and gentleness. The word for self-control is the word enkreteia. It was used twice in the Bible. First here in, uh, in uh, Galatians 5, 23 self-control. And the second time in 2 Peter 1.6, where the author writes the following, for this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance. Um, so reflecting back on this idea of gentleness and self-control. Gentleness, one definition says that gentleness is the quality of being kind, tender, or mild-mannered. Uh, definition of self-control says self-control is the ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions and desires or expressions of them and their behavior. So uh, last time I kind of hit on this idea of kindness being gentleness. So since kindness and gentleness are very similar, in fact, one definition says kindness is being or gentleness is being kind and tender. And it's similar to self-control, mild-mannered self-control. I wanted to really focus in, hone in on self-control. So where we're headed today, I wanted to talk uh, about my own lack of self-control this last year. Um, hopefully you'll find some way to relate to that. That's funny. Uh, I wanted to talk about a better way of looking at self-control and our emotions in general, and then invite us to reflect back on all of the fruits of the Spirit as we conclude this sermon series together. So um, a couple of my own lack of self-control. Uh, as I mentioned last, uh, last time I talked, 2020 was hard for me like it was for a lot of people. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, we were right in the middle of COVID lockdown, early middle, I would say, um, pretty early middle, actually. And my family and I, we went for a hike and it was a long hike. We got back and my wife and I were like, we don't, we don't have any energy to cook dinner tonight. Let's grab something. So we decided to grab pizza. Um, we called in ahead of time, 30 minutes. We decided on Papa Murphy's. Uh, we called in ahead of time so that it would be ready. So by the time we got there, uh, well, what we noticed, first of all, is they're really busy. It turns out a lot of people uh, lean on the go-to takeouts when you're in the midst of a lockdown. And pizza and Chinese takeout tend to be the two that were 
like early adopters. People just are used to taking pizza out, right? So we got there, I walked in, <clears throat> and my wife went to the grocery store right, right next door, basically adjacent to the, the pizza place. And I asked about our order. And the manager said, oh, we haven't got to it yet. It's a ways down. Do you mind waiting outside? I said, no, not a problem. I was hungry and tired, hangry, I guess you could say a little bit. I'm just a little irritated. And so I walked outside, but understanding we're in the midst of COVID and there's a lot of people that are coming in and out. So I waited outside. After maybe six, eight people came in and out, I went back in and inquired. It was about 10 minutes. And the manager said, oh, I see your ticket. It's coming down the line. Don't worry, I'll bring it out to you as soon as we get it done. It's like, okay, fine. So I went back outside. A few more minutes later, my wife pulled up and she's like, what's going on? Where's our pizza? And I said, ah, oh, they're just bombarded and slow at whatever. I mumbled something. And we waited uh, five, 10 more minutes maybe. Um, over a dozen people went in at that time, got their pizzas. Um, and my wife finally was like, are you sure that our pizza's not done? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure. I went in twice and they told me they bring it out and it's a glass door. They can see me right here. And finally, she's like, oh. So she walks in and inquires. And I'm standing by the door just to open it for her. And turns out they had made our pizza and just stuck it on the rack there, uh, which made me ticked instantly because I'm tired. I'm hungry. And I'm like, I went in here twice. So I looked at the guy who got the pizza. I was like, I went in here twice and you told me to wait outside. And he didn't apologize, but he said, oh, sorry, it was a didn't say sorry. He said, oh, it was a mistake. We've been busy. Um, honest mistake. And I, and I said, that's freaking ridiculous. Only I don't think I used that word. And I stood him down. And I was like, I don't usually get that mad about something. But food, I guess, is one of those things when you're tired and in the midst of a global pandemic and you want pizza. <laughs> um, speaking of pizza and cheese... Um, I tend to eat fairly healthy most of the time, but I do find myself slipping into these sort of, not binges, but like sleeping into these unhealthy patterns. And, um, I found myself early 2020 giving myself a snack once a week, nachos, right? I'm an adult. I can have nachos once a week. Great. But by early 2021, what I found myself doing is not only having a snack of nachos, but having a dinner of nachos. Uh, not only having a dinner of nachos, but having a dinner at least two, sometimes three times a week. I, I feel bad admitting that. Um, it was nachos. I'm an adult, I can make my own decisions, right? I want nachos. So somehow, that became my dinner multiple times a week. Um, and my excuse, my wife's a naturopath, she brings in the health food, she tries to help us eat healthier. My excuse, at least to my wife, is that I'm from Wisconsin. It's the cheese state, like cheese is in my veins, right? Um, it doesn't work uh, for her, and it's kind of disgusting, probably on multiple levels to think cheese is in your veins, because it quite literally probably is in a form of cholesterol there. Um, but needless to say, I found myself lacking in self-control, at least when it came to nachos. So. And I also found myself, as I began to realize this, in what I would call a shame spiral, which is I'm tired, exhausted, frustrated, I'm not sure what's all going on, and I'm binge eating nachos. And then while I'm eating nachos, I'm like, oh, these are so good. And then I'm like, oh, but they're so bad for you. And oh, I feel so full. And why did I eat nachos again? And oh, I'm such a bad person. But oh, they're so good. Right? You've ever been there with something? I mean, 
make me feel like I'm not alone. Put something in the comments that says, I struggled with this over this last year. Whatever that is, right? So let's talk about shame and this shame spiral. What often happens is that we do spiral in this. Whether that's nachos or ice cream or chocolate or alcohol or anger or or shopping, we find ways to sort of cope with our emotions in often semi-unhealthy ways. In the beginning, it's just sort of not a big deal, but then if that pattern continues, it can become a big deal, almost an addiction in some ways. I was reading through a book recently called Finding Meaning in the Second Half of Life, written by a depth psychologist, James Hollis. And he talks about this idea that psychology tends to promote a quick fix. So if somebody comes in and they have depression, psychologists tend to offer quickly a pill, some sort of medication. And he's not against medication. He's not saying if you, you, you need medication at times, that's a part of it. But he's critiquing the quick fix mentality where he says, instead of saying, what else is underneath there? Perhaps you do need some medication, but why do you feel these emotions? What's going on beneath the surface? We quick fix instead of trying to figure out what's going on. Perhaps you've watched the movie Inside Out. It's a Pixar movie. Uh, if, you, if it's been a while, or if you've never watched it, I'll give you a brief like kind of overview. There, there's these five characters, they're really five emotions that live in the head of an 11-year-old girl named Riley who moves to a new place with her family. Those five emotions, joy, sadness, disgust, fear, and anger. So they're kind of all in her head talking to her the whole time. Well, what happens, joy is the leader. And joy is just what you think of when you think of joy. Bubbly, optimistic, all these things. Wants the, the team to work, wants... Riley, uh, the 11-year-old girl, that they sit inside her mind to be happy. Makes sense. So she sort of ostracizes sadness. She feels bad about it, wants to include sadness, but it's like sadness, just don't touch anything. Don't make Riley feel sad. Let's be happy. And especially as she moved to a new place, Joy found herself trying to find ways to jumpstart and make Riley happy and not feel sad. So she kind of ostracized her more. Well, long story short, joy and sadness kind of get, they basically found themselves outside of her head in, um, oh gosh, what, what is it called? Um, in her mental place of remembering. I forget the name. But they're outside the head, which means that Riley can't feel those emotions. So Riley kind of goes into this like numb, flat, like I'm not happy or sad, I'm just it, you know. And uh, joy is with sadness, trying to find a way to get back in to the mainframe, into her head, so she can bring back happiness to Riley. And as she's doing it, it's a long story there, but she realizes that actually sadness plays a very important role in Riley's life, especially when it comes to moving on from that new place. And so what she had been doing is stuffing all of her emotions all of those bad emotions, negative emotions, sadness in particular. And what, what Joy finally allowed sadness to do was walk through those sad memories with Riley to now be able to engage in something new. Um, it's interesting how when we talk about self-control, especially in religious circles, what often happens is we think emotions are wrong or bad. 
that's more or less what I was taught. Like, hey, you can't trust emotions. They're just there. You got to kind of stuff them down. We didn't use that language, but more or less, that's what I understood. Stuff down those emotions and be happy. Be positive. Be Christ-like, right? Don't be negative. Don't have any of those emotions. When in fact, those emotions are a God-given gift meant to often help us understand ourselves better. We often mistake self-control for not having emotions. Rather, self-control is about connecting more deeply to our emotions and instead of reacting from them, becoming curious as to what they are trying to tell us so that we can help navigate and manage ourselves. Our emotions are there telling us, meant to tell us something. And if we stuff them down, that's not helpful. Of course, if we just let them rise up and do whatever, that's not helpful. But if we become curious about them and allow them to bubble up, then we can learn from them. In fact, this idea of emotions are bad. We just look at the life of a, a biblical character named King David. Now, if you know anything about King David, he was called, labeled, a man after God's own heart. This man after God's own heart, if you read any of the Psalms, which uh, a lot of them are attributed to David, they're about anger, frustration, bitterness, resentment, envy, loneliness, compassion, sadness, depression. They're, all of these emotions are coming out in the Psalms. This is a man after God's own heart, a man who is deeply in tune with his emotions. Self-control was defined as the ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions and desires, or the expression of them. I want to highlight that just for a moment, or the expression of them and one's behavior. I think not just having them, but being able to have them and what do we do with those emotions? What do we do with those feelings? That's where the self-control comes in. It's Mother's Day. We celebrate the way moms nurture us, uh, listen to us, take us to soccer games, make dinner for us, uh, somehow manage to keep the household together and sane in the midst of all kinds of chaos and craziness. There's a stigma also when it comes to women. And it goes something like this. Women are too emotional. Um, we saw this played out even in the last two presidential elections where a woman was running for the president, for presidency. And people would push back and say, you can't vote for a woman because who knows? If she's the leader and she gets mad, she might start a war, which is, I, I mean... Ridiculous, but also ironic in a way because I'm pretty sure most wars have been started by men, if not all of them. And we've lived in a predominantly male-run uh, society when it comes to leadership for a long, long time. And look where it's gotten us, right? Uh, we desperately need female leadership. We desperately need that. Now, I'm, I, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to overgeneralize and I don't want to cause binary thinking, especially when it comes to gender. But I'm going to do it and then navigate that a little bit. I think, by and large, most women are more in touch with their inner lives, with their feelings and their emotions. Most men tend to have to work harder or they, it's a societal thing, especially in the West, to kind of stuff those emotions down. You don't show emotions. You don't shed a tear. You don't do, I mean, it's a manly thing, right? That's a stigma, but it's also true that men uh, were kind of groomed to be that way. So when men are emotional, it's not the norm where it should be the norm, or at least we should be able to learn from 
you women out there and how to get in touch more with those emotions. Also, I think women, uh, in large part because of their menstrual cycle and other things, they're more in touch with the cycles of nature in general. They're more in touch with the fact that we are connected by sources and energies that are outside of us. Needless to say, we need more women leadership. We need more women influence. We need men, you men out there, to, to be humble enough to learn from women in this way. Again, not trying to make anybody upset, just trying to say in hopefully a healthy way, like women have, have a leg up. They have a, a connection that's already there that us men have to work harder for. It's interesting to note too the, the influence, the role the women had actually in the life of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus' public ministry was funded by women? We read in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 that soon afterwards Jesus went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and affirmities. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. Provided for them out of their resources. What's interesting is so much is attributed to the 12 male disciples, but it was actually women that funded, that allowed Jesus to be able to travel and preach and teach and heal. Who paid for his meals? A group of women. It was women who who understood what Jesus was doing and were generous enough to really propel that movement. Without women, it wouldn't have happened. Of course, when we think of the disciples, we often think of the 12 male disciples, but recent scholarship has suggested that there's at least a few, if not more women that were a part of Jesus's inner circle, that we should probably rightly name disciples as well. So women have a lot to offer, and they had a lot to offer in the life of Jesus as well. Some practical thoughts on self-control. There's been some studies that suggest this, that self-control or willpower is like a reservoir. You don't have, it's not like a, a river. You don't have unlimited access. You can use it up. For example, there was this study done by a psychologist where there was a group of people they divided it up into. And in one group, they gave them fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies. Uh, So, by the way, if it's not pizza or nachos, it's chocolate chip cookies for me. Um, Or cookie dough. Just go to the store, buy cookie dough. Um, And I plan to make cookies, but sometimes don't get around to it because the dough is gone because I ate it before I cooked it. Um, so cookies, chocolate chip cookies. The other group were in the room. They smelled the cookies, but they were told they could only eat radishes. All right. So which group would you want to be in? I know for me. And afterwards, so the, after they were given that food to eat, they were given an impossible geometry puzzle. And what they found is those that ate those chocolate chip cookies consistently lasted longer, roughly on average 20 minutes before they gave up and said, I can't figure this out. Now those that ate radishes lasted shorter, roughly about eight minutes on average and said, I can't figure this out. Now, what this study and others like it are showing is that if you use your self-control, your willpower for one thing, i.e. not eating chocolate chip cookies and saying, I'm going to eat something healthy, that means that you have less willpower to give to something else. Now, 
that may sound kind of like bad news. And th there's debate on whether that's true. It's called, um, uh, what is the name called? Ego uh, deflation or ego depletion is the, the word. And, and I don't know if it's 100% true. There's some critiques on that. Because um, I think you can grow. It, it, it's not always you run out of self-control and you can't help yourself at all. But I will say that I've noticed myself in stressful situations. When I feel stressed, it's, easy, it's, it's harder for me to, to neglect the chocolate chip cookie, forego the nachos, say no to pizza when I'm stressed or whatever and I have this other things that I'm trying to manage. It's easier for me to go to the, that thing. So if you find yourself doing that, just know that's part of being human. That's normal in many ways. And, and, and this, let me share... Um, just my personal experience. So I, I talked about nachos, right? Well, what I realized over time, I didn't know this in the beginning, but what I realized over time is that I was in a job, in a setting where I was not able to be authentic, where it was becoming clear I could not say or, or do certain things that I felt were true to me. Now, I couldn't have said that at that time. But I think what was going on is I was numbing those feelings that were rising up with nachos, right? And, and I know this to be true to some extent, at least because after I left that job, it was so much easier to begin to eat healthier. It was so much easier. I was more motivated. I, I didn't feel that urge to do so. Like, it was just like a switch that went off. I'm not saying that I eat perfectly healthy, but right now I'm on a cleanse trying to get rid of all that garbage that I ate in 2020 um, and early 2021. Um, if you're with me, you're not alone. I'm trying to get myself in a healthier position and a healthier place. But those emotions, those feelings, those urges, at least for me, were the result of, uh, of something else going on in my life. I'm not saying that's true of all places at all times, that every time you grab a cookie, there's some deep secret that you're stuffing down. That's not the case. But when emotions and things do arise, um, can you bring them up? Can you become curious? Which leads me to my final thoughts. So as we look back on the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, here's a couple of questions I want to invite you to engage with. Number one, what are the two or three fruits of the Spirit that you find come most natural to you, that, that are easiest for you? It's not an ego thing. It's just that, yeah, those are easier for me. What two or three are those? And, and lastly, what one or two do you find most difficult? What is that one or two fruits? What are those character traits that you're like, ooh, I definitely have been struggling with that, especially when you reflect back on the COVID lockdown, the last year, 2020, um, and everything that happened then. And here's what I want to invite you to. Instead of trying to fix it, oh, I'm going to overcome it by doing this. I'm not sure that's the help, most helpful way of engaging. I, I want to invite you to actually just begin to notice. So part of noticing is just naming. This is the thing. Self-control. I ate nachos. I did this, and I noticed that, right? And so noticing it, and then the second thing is becoming curious. Why am I doing that? 
Now, sometimes you might not know. Sometimes it's just like, oh, and it's not everything you do that you have to be suspicious of. But again, if you see habits, you see feelings keep coming up, become curious and ask, like, what's going on here? Is there something else going on? Is there something deeper? Instead of trying to stuff it down or just fix it right away, allow it and sit with it for a little bit. I want to close with a poem uh, called The Guest House by Rumi. And uh, Rumi is this great poet, and he kind of reflects this idea of welcoming all of these feelings, like um, inside out. Will we welcome all of these? So I want to invite you to read along this poem with me, and then we'll close in prayer. The Guest House by Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house. Empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you created us with emotions, with feelings, with joy and laughter and sadness and tears, that we feel things. It's actually that we feel things that make things meaningful, that help us know we're alive, we're living. That we ask that we would not be ashamed or neglect any of the emotions within, but allow us to become more aware of what we are feeling, to become more connected to those emotions, and then to become curious of the ways that we might be doing things saying things, acting in ways that aren't true to who we are, but maybe trying to reveal something, that something's going on that's deeper than perhaps we're aware of. We ask for your Spirit's help in this as we navigate into not just uh, a new normal, but a more healthier, whole future together. We ask these things in your name. Amen.